Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Fantastic. Bruce, this is the best Oilers team I've seen in a long time. I haven't seen an Oilers team this good since they won the Stanley Cup. And this team is as good as as some of those teams, I believe. So um, I just, it's exciting. It is high praise, but that's what I'm seeing on the Mm -hmm. ice. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny, you, you think, you, well, you see, catch glimpses of it in the McDavid era, those moments, you know, magic between Drysdale and McDavid and and um, through the years and some other good play and some good team play. But it wasn't, it's not been until this recent streak that I've really been reminded of what it's like to watch a great, a great hockey team. It's been a long time. And there's just it's just a plethora of small things that great teams do that this team is finally doing. And uh, it's fantastic to behold. So I'm yeah, I, I, I'm just really enjoying this. They're doing some things that the teams of the 80s uh, didn't do. I mean, you'd have to search long and hard in the Oilers record book to find stretch of games where they gave in six goals in seven games. Fair enough. You know. <laughs> but they could shut it down on defense, that that team in the playoffs. Yeah, they certainly closed it up they, on, the, they on could, defense. They could do that at times. And and this team... Could, and I mean, later it, in the 80s, was, right into 1990, they got better and better at that part. They, they sure did. And it was it's interesting because th- that team, the 89-90 uh, team that won the Cup... You know, it was followed by two teams that made the final four. Yeah. And one of those teams had traded away Mark Messier. The, the hockey culture. One of them had traded away Yari Curry, and then the other one traded yeah. away Mark Messier. The hockey culture <laughs> that, that, that developed in terms of strong team play <clears throat> lasted um, for a couple seasons uh, after their last Stanley Cup win. Um, and they were a... They were a good team. And I remember, I think, yeah, you know, they came close to making the finals both years and were very strong teams. Anyway, let's get to the present because people are bored by the past, except for us. Um, I'm not. I know. I said, I said, except for yeah. us yeah. and a few of our friends. But it's nice to, it's nice to be able to make straight, direct comparisons much more than any other time that I can remember, Dave. Oh yeah, Bruce. I, I mean, we have I have made those comparisons, but again, mm-hmm. it's more been glimpses and moments where it, there was a reminder. You know, the orders would come back and they'd score fabulous goals and make fabulous mm-hmm. plays. But this is different. It's it's more based on the 1980s. Oilers weren't just defined by incredible scoring prowess, although they were defined by that more than you know that was their their prominent feature. They had they had a number of other things going for them, including like team toughness extremely tough hockey team, um, high hockey IQ and, um, and great goaltending, um, ability, ability on special teams, including on the penalty kill to really get it done and to clamp down on defense when, when, when needed. And my first good thing, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers. I'll just start it off because there's a segue here is it's the Bouchard goal. And what I've noticed on this streak is something that I did notice 
for the first time in uh, the 1980-81 season with the Oilers. By the time they got to the the playoffs and they beat the Montreal Canadiens in a very famous uh, um, hockey series. I think it was the four games. Was it three or four game series, that one? In 81? Yeah. <clears throat> three straight. Three straight. Six, so three, three, one, and six, two. I asked the right guy. <laughs> so in that series, Bruce, and I don't know if you recall this, but I just it just became so crystal clear to me all of a sudden that all the rest of the players had learned from Wayne Gretzky oh, on yeah. the team. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, you saw every single player not throwing away the puck, but making high hockey IQ passing plays with the puck. And I just remember seeing Matty Hagman on one play. Like suddenly he was like doing something that Matty Hagman hadn't done at the NHL level, at least consistently. He was just combining so well with his teammates, Messier and Anderson at that point. And the, and the whole team was doing it. Players who normally would throw away the puck, wouldn't make a play with the puck, were making plays with the puck. And that's that's what this Oilers team is doing. All of these players up and down the lineup are now t- having the confidence and the drive and, and the inspiration, I think, from McDavid and Dreisaitl to make plays with the puck. No one's throwing the puck away. No one's making... <laughs> Very few bad passes that game, Bruce. The the level of passing ability on this team has shot up through through this year and has reached a high where they're all mimicking uh, McDavid and Drysaddle. They you know they can't do what those guys can do, but they can they can try to make a play, and they're doing it with a with a great deal of skill. And we saw that on the uh, Bouchard goal, which of course was highlighted by a play by one of the Oilers superstars, Leon Dreisaitl, who made an absolutely just a mind-blowing pass. But leading up to that, leading up to that, were, were three really good plays. Evander Kane hustling back to his, uh, to the neutral zone to gather up a loose pass and immediately finding the right guy and immediately advancing it quickly. Passes it up to Ekholm, who takes it in. And then he makes a, a fantastic pass, a cross-ice diagonal pass to Yamamoto. You know, Matthias Ekholm, you know, we watched him in, uh, in Nashville all those years. I don't know if he was passing like this then. If he was, I wonder why they traded him, because that, this guy is ripping it up with his passing uh, here at Edmonton. He makes a fantastic pass, and then Connor Yamo, Yamamoto does exactly the same thing, sending it back, cross-seam, um, kind of pulling his arms out to make the pass and, and turning his wrists and firing the pass over to, to Leon Dreisaitl. Just another... Utterly outstanding pass um, in in this combination. So three three guys in a row, and then to top it off, Drysaddle's hard tap of a back pass, right? You know, no look back pass, right to Bouchard <laughs> in this slot, who has the gimme putt to put the puck in the net. And it was that play, and in many others through the game. You know, players like Warren Fogle and Derek Ryan, even Vincent DeHarnay is getting it. They're all starting to move the puck smartly. There's an incredible high um, hockey IQ in terms of moving the puck on this team right now. And um, that's defining them uh, in terms of being able to break down other teams consistently. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they've got it going on in in a lot of different ways. So... Your good thing, Bruce. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go from tonight's game, and specifically, I'm going to go with the uh, 
the way Oilers came on and played properly in third period after getting through an early early penalty, uh, and taking back control of a game, they kind of lost control of, to be honest. And yeah. it was, I mean, this is a big game for Oilers. This is their chance at uh, first place was to win this game, be it regulation or overtime, and hope for help from Seattle in uh, beating Vegas in regulation, which would, would be the recipe for first place for Oilers. And at this moment, last I saw, it was 2-1 for Vegas in the third period. So Seattle needs to beat them in this period, not in any gimmick time. So it's not looking good. That so we're probably good. playing the Kings on Monday. Anyway, the Oilers finally in the third got down to business. And because in the first period, the shots, at one point, the shots were 11 3 for Edmonton, and the score was 2 nothing. And I was at this game and I was joking with my seatmate that uh, I said, for all the, all the, uh, uh, moaning we've been doing about Oilers' sloppy puck handling. They're out shooting the other guys 11-3, not bad. Uh, and then uh, a few minutes later, it was 14-11 to 11 for uh, uh, for San Jose. They got 11 shots on net in a row. And uh, so we revisited our comments. And I guess we were right. <laughs> they are playing sloppy. And it got to 26-17 for uh, San Jose at one point, meaning they outshot Edmonton 23-6 to for a long stretch of this game, which is not recent Oilers hockey. But the Oilers turned it around and outshot them 19-3 to in the third. And really, that was the direction of play. I was sitting down in the end. The Oilers were attacking. And they were just forechecking the crap out of and cycling the crap out of the puck down there. And the puck just would just go along the boards and the Oilers would just circle and circle and circle. And every, you know, four or five passes, I'd look up at the clock and there'd be 10 seconds gone off of it. And uh, they were just whiling away the time in San, uh, San Jose territory. And every minute or so, they'd... Uh, uh, generate something towards the net because they got 19 shots and they finally got one. Reimer had a number of good saves, a couple of really good bounces, and uh, finally that amazing, uh, uh, another yet another amazing pass by Drysaddle to Kane for the for the 5-2, and then we could breathe easier. I could, you know, I'm all game. I'm thinking, we just got to get this win. And when they made it 4-2, I started getting a little edgy, you know, don't want to let it get away, and they didn't. They just cracked the whip. Indeed, yeah, nine to one in grade A shots in the third oh, with, for with the, the two Oilers. goal lead. With yeah, two and they got lead. nine that's, in a row. Great. And it, but in the second period, the San Jose had kind of starting to had the majority of the grade A shots, and um, had, had um, they had been outscored in that period, but um, had played well. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to see. I didn't want to see a close game because I wanted to see San Jose give up and not try too hard and not injure anyone. Like like DeHarnay almost got hurt there. Oh man. Yeah, that was He seems like he seems like he's okay. He's a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Bruce, my second good thing is McDavid's back check. It's late in the first period. Um, I'm not sure if the score was two nothing or two to one at that point, but. He just comes charging back on an odd man rush and as fast as he can skate and lifts the stick of the player who's going to take the shot and, and um, avoided a shot there. And, um, you know, 
McDavid's defensive game has consistently improved from the time he was a rookie. And he's gotten better and better and better. Um, and he's actually been consistently, I would say he's been a consistently okay to good defensive center for the last three years in the NHL. Uh, to win the Stanley Cup with this team, facing the competition that the Oilers face, he has to be a great defensive center. And mm-hmm. so does Leon Dreisaitl does too. Yep. And this is hard, I think, for some people to hear because, you, like, you know, when, when people have made the criticism, and, I, and Mark Spector of Sportsnet has often said this and gotten a lot of flack for it, but I think he, he's been right, he's been correct, that for these Oilers to win, they need their best players also to be great defensive players. And it's not going to be enough to be the top scorers in the league. They're going to have to be dominant two-way players, both ends of the ice. Mm-hmm leading the way in this regard. And um, it's just, you know, you just can't stack a team enough, uh, you know, to have that kind of separation between other teams. Can't Every player's got to give their all, both ends of the ice. Like the New York Islanders of the 1980s, another reference to that era. Um, mm-hmm. like, like, the, like the Boston Bruins of this era. Um, like the Detroit Red Wings under Ken Holland for all those years, great two-way hockey teams uh, with, um, you know, players like Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg being fantastic attackers, but also just just beasts in their own end. Same with Nicholas Lidstrom, who couldn't be beat. Like, he was just such an efficient defenseman. Mm -hmm. So that play is just another signifier of McDavid's determination on defense. Mm -hmm. And we've also been seeing it from Leon Dreisaitl in the last uh, month and a half or two months from, from Dreisaitl. He, he, you know, he was frankly weak on defense um, at the, for the first half of the year. He's had his troubles for a number of years now, which is why his plus minus at even strength hasn't been great. Um, he still has created far more on the attack at even strength than he ever gave up at his own end. You know, that has mm-hmm. to be made clear, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but, if he's if he's going on defense and he is going to be going on defense in the playoffs, so is McDavid. This team, Bruce, that's that's huge. Just seeing you know seeing McDavid play like that way, come back on the check. You must you just got to know on the bench how happy that makes everybody, especially the coach, but the teammates, all his teammates. Just look at that and think, okay, that's the standard on this team. I'm gonna I have to meet it, and and they do. They they bloody well better meet that because they're not they can't score like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Right, right. But so, but you just, want it's the two hundred foot team that wins the cup. It is and now. The more two hundred yeah. foot players you got, the better. I would say it's always been. Yeah. Largely true, you know. You got, um, I mean, and if you've got great offensive stars, you know, they have skills that can be applied elsewhere on the ice, and I mean they're not not directly to defensive skills. But there's no reason why a great passer of the puck in the offensive zone can also be a great distributor of the puck out of the defensive zone. And of that, Leon Dreisaitl is the master. And so that part of the game is, uh, uh, which we don't measure, but uh, unless he coughs it up once in a while, but uh, uh, it's just a different, you know, it's a, 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 what you do when you've got the puck in the defensive zone is. Uh, important as well and your skill guys should be skilled guys wherever you know and so uh, uh, 
but that one of McDavid, they showed a replay at the at the rink and uh, uh, during the intermission, and I was isolated on him, and like the guy who got the puck wasn't even in the screen, and uh, McDavid overtook him. He was like 30 feet behind the guy, and he just took off, and the play was a little slow developing, and he was just able to get in and lift that guy's stick, and oh. Unreal, and I thought I I was counting it up as a goal. Like I thought the guy had a clear shot to hit the net with it, and all of a sudden he didn't have the puck anymore. Very nice. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. That's what Gretzky. Bruce, that's what Gretzky's defensive specialty. Uh, yeah, was. Stick was. lifting and stealing. Yeah. Of the puck, and he could do yeah. that in all three zones. He certainly <laughs> did. Bruce, what is your second good thing? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not. You're not gonna give me enough numbers for all my numbers, so I got to hide them in the other comments. So, <laughs> uh, Connor McDavid, uh, with his 153 point season. So if we go back uh, 25 years, I'm just gonna call this up. Sorry, in NHL.com for all franchises, all skaters, uh, but season by season. We have an amazing situation. Loading, loading. Here we go. Uh, all-time se- best seasons in the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor McDavid, 80, 82 games, 64 goals, 89 assists, 153 points in 2022-23. Second, Leon Dreisaitl, Edmonton, 52-76-128, also this season, tied with Nikita Kucherov, uh, and one ahead of Yarmer Jagger and three ahead of Joe Thornton. I mean, there's some pretty darn good scores on that list. And yet, here's Connor McDavid, 25 points clear of any other player in the last 25 years. Like, whoa, 25 points more than anybody else in a quarter of a century. Now, that's a season. And the other amazing part about his season was uh, in the last 62 games, David, he scored points in 59 of them. He got blanked three times in the last three quarters of the season, just consistent, night after night, least a point, often two, and once in a while, three, four, you know. And uh, just the, the, the statistical dominance, I mean, winning the scoring title by 25 puts him on the short list of biggest margins of, of victory. And he's got, uh, you know, a season for the ages here. And I wanted to recognize it with a good thing. <laughs> it's his, a real good thing. His play on the power play. Uh, <laughs> just uh, just astonishing. Bruce and they did, of course, in the end, set the record. Set the record for the most uh, um, top scoring, top uh, power play efficiency. beating the 1977-78 Montreal Canadiens, who were at 31.9. 32.4. I figured they just went one for three tonight, so that's just going to keep it where it is. Yeah. and um, like George Brett going one for three. (laughs) That first power play goal was amazing. Oh, God. Nugent Hopkins passed through the air to Drysdale and Drysdale pounding it in. Those guys have reached... uh, I don't know. Obviously, but there's never been a power play this good. Yeah, they just proved it. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, they just the way they the way they work together, the way that they combine. 
those, especially Nugent Hopkins and uh, McDavid and Drysaddle. But Bouchard is, I think, really starting to fit in nicely. And with his shot, um, I think his shot is a bigger threat than Barry's shot. And um, this power play can get better is the thing. It could get better uh, from where it's been because he, they have that just a little bit more of an added weapon there. He's Bouchard. I think is a bit, can get it off quicker, a bit more accuracy, can score a bit more. So it's exciting. Power, power play is a lot of its familiarity. I find that the the best power play units are the ones that have had the same players for a number of years. Yeah, and they really start to to. Um, uh, feel what each other's doing out there. And tonight the Oilers did something different that I don't remember seeing before, and that was the first power play. They had R&H camped out on the right half wall, mm-hmm. which has been the home of Drysaddle and McDavid for all these years on the power play. One or the other of them's over there generally. And it's uh, here's Nuge over there, and normally he's always been on the left side. And this year he's been creeping into the middle more, and tonight he actually lined up on the right side, you know, and then they, they changed the, uh, they rotated the look. But, you know, they've got so many tricks, you know, it's like Luis Tiant adding a seventh pitch, right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's coming. <laughs> well, he just changes up the sandpaper and he's got that pitch. Um, so Nugent Hopkins, of course, started his career playing the right dot on the power play that's where he was setting up Everly from all those uh for those great goals i i do believe so he's he he knows how to play there it's his natural spot it's just that it's two other guys absolute killer spots to be in especially dry saddle i mean mm-hmm. he's the he's the man all right bruce bad thing yeah i'm going to single out one little play and it was a it was a a, a penalty by vander kane and uh, Kane had uh, good moments in this game. He, could, he didn't handle the puck very good, but the, the only thing that I really didn't like was his penalty. And San Jose had just scored with about one minute left in the second on the power play, or right at the end of the power play, uh, to make it 4-2. And all of a sudden, that comfortable two-goal lead wasn't quite so comfortable. And then they come out for the third period, having just basically given up a power play goal, and you know a little less breathing room. So like 10 seconds, 15 seconds into the third period, uh, uh, 18 seconds, Vander Kane. They called it cross-checking. He really just slashed the guy. And I, I was watching the play, and uh, and it was just away from the puck along the boards. And he had this exchange with some dude from uh, San Jose, and he just decided to whack him one. And right away, I looked to see if the ref seen it. Sure enough, his hand was up in the air, and all I could say was, well, that is not a good penalty, Evander. And it's not very disciplined. And, you know, you give up a goal at this time of the game on the next power play, and all of a sudden the third period is a lot bigger hill to climb. And, I mean, this is San Jose. You might get away with it. But uh, this uh, is just not the sort of thing you need to be doing whoever the opposition is, and it'll hurt more when you do it against the wrong team and they score on you a big goal. So I, mean, I like the toughness of Kane. I don't. I, I, I like the edge, frankly, of, of how he plays with. But uh, solo trips to the penalty box, you know, you want to keep those to a reasonable number. Bruce, my bad thing is Vegas 3, Seattle 1. 
Shoot. 37 seconds left in the game. So that's a tough way to... 37 uh, years for us to finish first. Yeah, that's a tough way to lose. You know, it just... just um, if they just gotten a, one more win this season, a couple of loser points. But there we go. I, I don't really think it matters. Like Turned it would a couple of loser points into winner points. Yeah. I don't really like playing the Kings is fine. Um, I'm not, I was a lot more worried about the Kings before I saw the Oilers mm-hmm. play them recently. Um, especially that I, I just like last year, the Kings took it to the Oilers physically and um, were the tougher team and the more physically dominant team. They will not be this year. And if they don't have that, if they don't have that, well, we'll see what they have. They've got a better team Mm -hmm. this year than they had last year. They've improved their team as well. But, um, you know. They got Doughty back and Arvidsson. Fiala. They both missed the series last year, and they added Fiala, yeah. Yeah. I guess Landeskog's out for the playoffs. It was announced tonight. So, one down for Mm -hmm. Colorado. Um. So we'll see. Um, I don't mind the Kings as a first-round opponent. I, I, you got to beat lots of good teams to win the Stanley Cup. And I don't see four the Kings, good teams to win the Stanley teams. Cup. And I don't see the Kings as a, like a like the Broad Street Bullies of 1974-75. Like they're not gonna or 73-74. They're not gonna. You know, it's gonna be a tough series. But I think the Oilers are at least as tough as the Kings. They're. I think they're tougher. Bruce, your Numero. Oh, lots of good numbers tonight, Dave, but I dropped a couple of them already. But I'm going to go with uh, uh, 500, 500, 800, and 27, uh, which 800 is one number and 27 is a different one. And they're all related, kind of. 500, Zach Hyman played uh, his 500th NHL game tonight. And... Uh, uh, a milestone for a guy who was sort of a, a sleeper in the draft and kind of came the overland route into the NHL, made it in his, in his I think, was he 24? When he finally made it as a player, I should have had his thing up here already. I'll uh, find that but, for you, Bruce. Yeah. He, and, uh, yeah. he went from Florida to Toronto, I believe it was, in a steal of a deal. Yeah, he was drafted by Florida. Did he? Maybe did he? Mm-hmm. Did he get traded, or did he? Um, is it one of those things where he didn't sign with the team after four years of college? He was twenty-three at the start. Of, he was twenty-four when he when mm-hmm. he debuted. You are correct. Yeah, and now he's thirty, and he's up to five hundred NHL games, and about four hundred and ninety of them have been uh, uh, hard effort, two-way puck battling games and they're very very odd time he has a has a night where you don't notice him but uh, that doesn't happen very darn often and uh, he's uh, uh, a good man who's won a lot of friends since he came to Edmonton and he was very popular in Toronto um, until he jumped town you know <laughs> <laughs> so there's that but uh, anyway congratulations to Derek Ryan who made uh, 500 uh, NHL games tonight as well. A fit, fitting for two teammates to make it on the very last night of the season. So, you know, they've, they've made their target before the summer and now they can carry on. But uh, 500 games for Derek Ryan, uh, who uh, made it into the NHL about two months before he turned 30, okay? 
So 30, that's what, Ryan, you know, so when he was the age of Ryan Nugent Hopkins is now, he was just making it into the NHL. Yeah. So that's the 800. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has 800 games, uh, which he achieved last game, and then he turned 30 yesterday. So he has three, 800 games before he even reached 30, whereas Derek Ryan had 27. And now he's all the way up to 500 at age 36. And my hat is off to you, Derek Ryan, former uh, U Alberta Golden Bear and uh, 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 a long and varied trip across continents and countries and so on to uh, make it to 500 NHL games and back in the same city where he played four years of college hockey. It's not like he was here for one year and then carried on. Four years, U.S. U Alberta Golden Bears hockey. And he turned himself into a 500-game NHL, NHL, or only Randy Gregg could lay claim to that before right now. Yeah, anyone whose hockey story takes them <laughs> through Kalamazoo has gone a long way to get to the NHL. <laughs> not just through Kalamazoo, but the, in 2011-12 when Nugent Hopkins... Uh, uh-huh. In 2011-12, when Nugent Hopkins was playing his first year in the NHL, um, Derek Ryan was the star forward for Zekish Ferovar Alba Volgen, Volen, <laughs> Alba Volen Hockey Club of the Austrian League, where he right. would go on to play three more seasons, Bruce. Three yeah, seasons yeah. in the Austrian League, then one league in the Swedish um, Hockey League. I'm not sure if that's the first or the second division. And then a oh, full age, uh, first year, then a big year in the um, um, Charlotte Checkers. Um, it was the year in the Swedish league that, that probably gave them the pro. Like the, that's when NHL teams thought, oh, well, they might have something here. Full year with the Charlotte Checkers in the AHL, and then he finally uh, broke in the next season, 2016-17, with the Carolina Hurricanes. It is a remarkable achievement yeah, yeah, for Derek awesome. Ryan, and 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 another one of these just super smart hockey players with the puck without the puck on the Edmonton Oilers. I really admire the way he's, he's played. If he continues this level of play um, uh, in the playoffs, Bruce, he will have another season uh, in the NHL. So um, not bad for someone uh, his age. He played three seasons with Spokane Chiefs, age 18, 19, over age at age 20 to 21. And he never had so much as a point-per-game season in the WHA, even as an overager, wow. when he scored uh, 59 points in 72 games. And, I mean, where do you where do you find an NHLer out of that? I mean, that's Tyler Johnson or it's uh, 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 Yanni Gord or some player like that. Yeah, but Small and not necessarily teams. super fast, but, uh, but yeah, but without the, without the scoring. That. So, whereas they got found at age 22, Ryan was, what, almost, well, 28 by the time he came over to the side of the pond and spent one year in the AHL. So, just a just a, a truly remarkable career, and to reach 500 is a special milestone. Like, that is a career that's six full NHL seasons plus a little bit. Did you describe all those numbers? There was a lot of them. Uh, well, that was a few of them. Okay. I'm not sure I got to the nine-game winning streak that Edmonton tied their all-time franchise record from yeah. 2000-01 tonight. Yeah. Yeah, or the 14-0-1 that they finished the season on. You know, they lost that one point in overtime to Vegas, so it's a two-point swing. 
And that's yeah. the difference between first place. They had to be perfect. They had to go 15, 0 and 0, and they only went 14, 0 and 1, and they missed first place. Unreal. Oh, what a fantastic the, charge. That's that gameplay the that season. he blew, eh? The Evander gameplay where he. That's yeah. the one. Let's forget. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, no, and it's just individual moments, right? Low tide. My friend Alan Low Tide Mitchell, he talks about this all the time. Individual moments, as opposed to the grand flow of the, you know, measurable statistics and stuff. That games are one and individual happenstances. Well, that's one of the great theories of war of warfare, Bruce. I can't remember who said it, but it's often it has been said that wars are sometimes decided in these individual moments on one battlefield by a few soldiers and something happens it turns the tide and gets flowing in one direction and changes everything mm-hmm. within a battle Sometimes um, it's the actual tide that turns right was it the was it the uh, spanish armada that invaded somewhere and they got fogged in and and <laughs> i just heard a long uh, elizabeth the first <laughs> did a very good job she um there's a number of tactical decisions and strategic decisions she made queen elizabeth to mm-hmm. get the to get essentially to get the spaniards fighting in her home ice her home waters which right. were far rougher okay. than the spanish were used to and mm-hmm. their boats were less were not equipped to fight in those heavy fat uh, heavy waters of the english channel where the british ships were and it proved mm-hmm. to be decisive um, and I think there was a foggy night where the, where the British crept in and burned, burned their ships, if I'm not mistaken. All right, my number, Bruce, is 13. So the Oilers had 13 players on their team this year who scored at least 10 goals. This includes Tyson Berry, who's with yeah. Nashville, but scored 10 when he was with Edmonton. The last member of that club was Matthias Janmark, who scored twice tonight to get 10. So there's McDavid, Drysaddle, Nuge, Hyman, Kane, Ryan, Fogel, Nurse, Costin, McLeod, Janmark, Yamamoto, and Barry. So I was curious about how often this had happened in the past that uh, there'd mm-hmm. been, a, been a team that the owners had had uh, 13 guys who scored that many goals. It has happened four other times in 1991 uh, 92. That was one of the teams you mentioned earlier that went to the Final Four. This is post Gretzky, Curry, yeah, and Messier Vinny, when they yeah, had the leaders, splinters the scoring out. Yeah, the leaders on that team were Vinny Domfus, Joe Murphy, and Craig Simpson. It happened in 85-86, the year that the Oilers lost in the playoffs in the first round at Calgary. Terrible things can happen to great teams in the playoffs. Bruce, mm-hmm. and this is, we have to keep this in mind. Curry, Anderson. Single moment in time. Yeah, Curry, Anderson, Gretzky, Coffey, and Messier were the big scorers on that team. It happened in 82-83. Um where they also had 13, uh, 10 goal scorers. Gretzky, Anderson, Messier, Curry, Linsman were the big goal scorers on that team. Bruce, three but, for Linsman, that was that year? Correct. Um, bonus if you can get Paul Coffey's number that year, Bruce. Which year is that? 8283. 283. It was 96 points, wasn't it? His goals. Oh, his goals, 29. <laughs> He had two 29-goal seasons in a row, and then he started hitting 40. That's astonishing, Bruce. Okay. Um, I studied that team, David. I majored yeah. in Edmonton Oilers of the 1980s. I feel like there should be a blackboard behind <laughs> you with numbers moving around right about now and going in strange and different yeah. combinations. All right. But there was a one team, Bruce, that had 14 
guys wow. who scored at least 10 mm-hmm. goals on others. And this is quite a, this is a very interesting team. It, it's the team that I re- referenced uh, at the top of the podcast as being the team, the first team that I noticed suddenly took on the demeanor and the style of play of its best player, Wayne Gretzky. This is the 1980-81 Oilers. And they had 14, 14 players who scored 10 or more goals. Now, and this wasn't a team like the the great 80s teams where there'd be like like usually five guys who had like 40 or more goals. Um, this is a team where only one guy scored more than 50. Gretzky scored 55. And the next highest goal scorer was Yari Curry with 32. Mm-hmm. Anderson had 30. Callaghan, 25. Messier, 23. <laughs> Hagman, 20. B.J. McDonald, 19 before he got traded. Silton in 17, Fogel in 13, Dave Hunter 12, Stan Weir 12, Dave Semenko 11, and Donnie Murdoch and Kevin Lowe 10 each. So those are, that's a lot of names from the, the, the bring up a lot of memories for uh, people like you and I. And uh, it was a joy to watch that team come together and uh, beat the Montreal Canadiens and, and, and challenge the New York Islanders as well in the next round in a really exciting hockey series. So... Um, this Oilers team has that kind of scoring depth. It's got mm-hmm. uh, top scoring of, you know, between those McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent, Hyman, Kane, and Kane, and now Evan mm-hmm. Bouchard. I think it's got top scoring that's coming close to what we saw in the mid '80s. Those mid '80s teams. Mm-hmm. See what the well, goal is like. <clears throat> yeah. So well, I wound up with two 40-point D-men in Nurse and uh, Bouchard, and that's after trading away Barry. And, of course, they got Ekholm for Barry, and, Bar- and Ekholm scored at a 55-point rate. Yeah. So you could say you've got three 40-point caliber defensemen back there and not be wrong. And so they but what had, did Bouchard uh, score right after the Barry trade? He's almost he's Oh, almost he's almost a point, a point a game. game. Yeah. yeah 18, and, 18 and 20 or... 19 and 21, something like that. Anyway, yeah. it was just, he was right there. But David, tonight, uh, the 12 Oilers forwards who played in this game all finished the season with double-digit goals. Because, of course, Bugstad came to town with 13 already, so he's a 17-goal scorer. And Jan Marks, the 10-goal man, every, every forward who played tonight, 12 out of 12, all scored... Ten goals this year. I bet you'd have to look long and hard to find too many examples of that happening. <laughs> it's exciting, Bruce. It's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, as we know, we just mentioned the 85-86 Oilers, a fantastic, fantastic mm-hmm. hockey team that lost in the first mm-hmm. round of the Calgary Flames on second. And was it the second round? Yep. Yeah, swept oh. Vancouver first, and then oh, I forgot that. I thought it was the first yeah, round. Anyway, it was lost the, the Smythe Division final. Lost, it lost. Uh, I think in seven games to the the Flames, and yes. it was brutal. And but this, yes. you know, Still this brutal. nothing's guaranteed for this team at all. Of course, <laughs> this team's, you know, it's, there's lots of good hockey teams in these playoffs. There's the Avs, who are a fantastic hockey team. There's the the Vegas Golden Knights and Seattle and LA could be tough teams and Dallas Stars had a great season. There's there's lots of teams that can give the Oilers trouble here, um, but the Oilers can bring the trouble. The can they can rain the, the pain. I'll say. I mean, there's seven 
hundred point uh, teams in the playoffs in in the West. Yeah, yeah. So so, and the eighth place team that's Winnipeg with ninety five points, but Edmonton second in the conference with one hundred nine, behind of course Las Vegas who now officially with one eleven, and. In the East, there was four teams that were just over 110. Well, three that were just over 110. And then Boston with a ridiculous 135. And they just ran away with it. But even from sort of second half of the season, the Oilers were level or a bit better than Boston. But it was just the first half where Boston was, I mean, they were great in both halves. 65 wins. But so... Oh, here's another number. Uh, this is 29. That's the number of wins for uh, Stu, Stu Skinner this year, breaking the 41-year-old Edmonton Oilers franchise record held by Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr, who won 28 games as a as a uh, runner-up for the Calder Trophy behind the great Dale Howarchuk back then. Well, Stu Skinner has uh, really made an impact on this team. He... Uh, he was really strong in that in this game as well. And the uh, Oilers have got a live one there. Finally, they drafted a goalie. 9-14 save percentage. I mean, Devin Dubnik was a good goalie, but it didn't yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Skinner, he's just such a calm. He's just very calm, and he's showing it again. Showed it again this game. He's calm, and he's great mm-hmm. on that first shot. So, yeah, yeah. He, he looks like he's – We, I mean, we've been seeing him now two years in the NHL. And he was he was very promising last year, and this year he's just been consistently good. So he had one bad streak there, I think. But um, he's he's been really strong closing out the season, strong early in the season. So and Campbell even played better um, uh, towards the end. So we'll see. Well, Bruce, let's leave it there, and uh, well, maybe we'll get together on the weekend to do a little playoff preview. We'll see if we have time or not, but. Um, they are going to be playing the Kings yeah, Monday. Sounds like they're going to be playing Monday. I got a clash, but uh, I will uh, have to figure something out. I'm attending a memorial service online for a friend that's Monday night, and I'm not going to miss it. But I'm just going to have to find a way to catch up on the hockey game. All right, so, we'll figure it out. But, yeah, we'll figure we'll figure that out, and uh, we will. Uh, Get excited about the playoffs now, but this I'll just leave it with this. This was a great regular season for Edmonton Oilers, 109 points. Uh, their most since 1985-86, different rules, of course, but they didn't really take advantage of the three-point rule, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, man, if they just won two of their four shootouts, they'd be in first place. Oh. Anyway, uh, but... So much, and the team so clearly got better and better and better and really blossomed after the big trade deadline. And, you know, played, you know, looked like, played like a powerhouse for the last, you know, it's been more than a month since they lost a game in regulation time. This is uh, a team to get excited about. And we are. Bruce, Mm -hmm. thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.